We're finishing out working on a book of Ernest Holmes called Discover a Richer Life. And for those of you who've been here this month, know that we've kind of co um, covered a few aspects of our relationship to God. First of all, how, how God is, is big, is powerful, is capable. We also talked about our connection to God through the auspices of faith. And we learned some tools around prayer. It's been, I think, a, a fairly successful month. And we're going to finish up truly with the idea of success. The entire last few chapters of this book talk about success. I think the best place to start is with a joke. <laughs> so while visiting, oh, this one, we got to do a little bit of the time machine thing. Take your back. I assume everyone was alive in 2000, right? Do we have any children here? Anyway, uh, take yourselves back to the year 2000. The then Pope John Paul is visiting America and visits the then president, Bill Clinton. Now, rather than just a short visit, they decide they're going to have three days of going over all of the important issues of the day. So they do. And, and in fact, other than bringing in sandwiches and a lot of coffee, uh, the two of them are, are really connected up for, you know, like three days, talking over the issues of the day. When it's over, the press, of course, is ready. Bill Clinton comes out first and says, you know, this was really a successful summit. We covered really everything of controversy between us, and we came up with 80% agreement. 80% agreement. Great success. Well, next, John Paul comes out. And you know what? He doesn't quite look so happy. He's kind of, he looks tired. He looks kind of beat up. And, and the press corners him. And, and he says, well, I know Clinton says it's a great success. And, and we did uh, reach some agreements. But I got to tell you, 80% success, it doesn't seem like success to me at all. And the press said, well, why is that? And the Pope said, well, we were just talking about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> And so, and so I, I think that is the trouble with doing a sermon on the idea of success. It's going to mean something different to Star. It's going to mean something different to me. Nancy will have a different idea of what success is. And you know what else? I think society even has a way of trying to dictate what success is to you. For those of you that were parents, uh, or that are parents, I guess you, you don't give up being a parent, do you? For those of you that are parents, uh, do you remember when you were first getting started and you sort of didn't think that you knew what you were doing and everyone on the planet had an idea of what being success as a, successful as a parent was and were more than willing to tell you, this is what you need to do, this is how you have to share. Frightening, wasn't it? And half of it was useless information. <laughs> Well, and the same thing's true in business. People have an idea of what success is. If you want to be successful in business, it needs to look a certain way. You have to earn a certain amount. You have to have a certain number of employees under you. I mean, all these crazy ideas of what success are that society will tell you. In fact, a really sad one. I, I, was, I was thinking of examples of society doing success things. One of the things when my mom um, I was helping her pack, you know, go from the big house to the small house and so we were you know she was in in her 70s and 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 really the big house made no sense whatsoever so we we're going through a lot of her things and giving a lot of things to goodwill and she ran across her wedding dress now here was a woman that had a lovely and full life 
And a measure of not success for her was that she couldn't fit in her wedding dress anymore. Why does society do things like this to us? Why on earth? I mean, to me, the fact that she'd been married all that time, very successfully, that would have been on the top of my head. But no, no, it was, oh, shoot, I don't fit into this anymore. The expectations put onto us are outstanding and not in a good way. What does success mean truly to you as an individual? Is it an accomplishment that you have achieved or that you want to achieve? Is it a way of being in the world? You know, sometimes I think that our accomplishments, because of the way society sets it up, that we, we think they have to be strange and unusual, that they have to be something that, uh, how do I want to put it, that makes it worthy of putting up on a billboard. You know what I mean? And I'm not sure that that's true at all. I think that oftentimes successful communication with the people that we love is a, is a huge form of success, that the ability maybe to, uh, to mentor and nurture someone that is, uh, that's having some trouble in their life or a young person. Oh, what sweet success. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to win a Nobel Prize. Success can be had in amazing and small ways, as well as, as things that go up on a billboard. I want to read something to you from this great book. Uh, here's what Ernest Holmes initially in this chapter says about success. He says, we believe that we can sit in the silence of our own thought, we can give a treatment, we can say a prayer, we can affirm something or accept something, and as a result of what we do mentally, Something will happen in our experience of the world. Now, this does not mean that our thought causes something to happen, but rather that we have permitted God itself to happen on purpose through us and as us. And he goes on to say, there is within us now the possibility of greatness, the possibility of limitless success in life. This isn't just fitting into a wedding dress. Do you know what I mean? We have the capability of success of our wildest dreams, the, the success of making a huge difference in, in our personal life, in the lives of the, the people we hold close to us, as well as in the community, even in the world. We have the ability of that level of success if we have the intentions for that level of success. So one of the things I'm asking you to do this day and this week is to think about truly what success could be for you. And have your current ideas of success been big enough? You know, for some of us, there comes a, a point in our lives where, uh, especially when we're just maybe starting out new in the world, where success just seems like, well, finally, you know, I've got a job that I can call my own. You know, finally, there are these things lined up. We think of it in, in terms of the, the outward part of our lives, right? That we're paying for the, the, the new car, or that we have the apartment that we want, or that we, we manage to pay off our student loan, and all of these kind of outward forms of success. They're wonderful. And they're important, don't get me wrong, but that's not the end of it. That's kind of fitting into the wedding dress, if you know what I mean. I believe that each person in this room, each person on the planet, has been called forth to do something amazing. 
It might be a quiet amazing. It might be a really out loud, turn up the volume of the music kind of, uh, uh, kind of something. But that each person in this room has a gift that only you can give, has a gift that's important to the world, has a gift that will both enrich themselves and life in general. And so we, when we find ourselves uh, uh, drugged down by the, the day-to-day strivings, you know, that will happen. Of course it will happen. We have days when things go poorly. We have days when it seems like even the small successes are, are subtly elusive. Do you know what I, what I mean? I remember a friend of mine said, this is one of those days when it seems like no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I just had to laugh because, of course, we'll have a day like that. But that does not describe our lives. Our lives are here to be cherished and and writ large. Each of us is the author of the story of our own lives. And where the next chapter begins, it's right here on this day. And what's the next chapter going to be? Is it a tragedy? Gosh, I hope not. I think it is going to be an outrageous story of, of success and enlightenment, of joy and making a difference in the world. So that's what I'm asking you to do today, is really think, if you will, about where you want to head, what you want to be when you grow up. We're all still growing up. We're absolutely all still growing up. What do we want to make of that? All right, I'm going to do an awkward segue into something else that interested me this week. We were talking about success, and I can't think of anyone or any group of people that probably work harder towards a specific goal than people who go to the Olympics. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Olympics, that when it comes about, is so captivating to the world in general. Because you have a series of, of athletes that have worked for literally four years or longer just to qualify for the darn thing. And then when they go there, it, and in fact, have you noticed any of the interviews with the, uh, the, the, the people that go to the Olympics? It's less about participating in the Olympics in a way than it was they were they were able to qualify and go. And then they sort of don't care anymore whether they come. Well, I mean, I'm sure if they get a gold medal, they care. Don't get me wrong. But just the ability to participate is such a sign of success, such a sign that the efforts and the hard work have paid off that just being able to go spells success written large. Well, this interested me, and I thought I would do a little bit of research on the Olympics and where they come from. Did you know that the Olympic Games were held every four years for over 10 centuries? They started in 776 B.C., and it actually was part of a religious or a spiritual festival at the time. So not only was it athletics, not only was it people who have worked so hard and, and, and really st- strived to be the best in their field at something, but it was also to honor God. Uh, the site of Olympia, uh, there was a giant statue of Zeus there, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And, uh, and although our idea of God is a little different, I'm assuming that than the ancient Greeks. Nonetheless, the Olympics was seen as a spiritual event, not just an athletic one. That truly the people that came to it were spiritual warriors that, that had a great deal of spiritual content in their lives and that that equally made them as successful as the practice and the other things that they had done. 
Then the Olympic victors of each of the different competitions were crowned with an olive or a laurel wreath and had their names inscribed in the official Olympic records. And although they weren't paid money, you know what? They were actually given, in a sense, the keys to their city. They, there was the agreement that these people who won would be fed and housed for life. So, so not only, you know, the, the laurel wreath, but actually a, a, quite a prize of being fed and housed for life. Also, this is the time and the period where the idea of resting on one's laurels came from. So those laurel wreaths that they were given as a, as a tribute, really, and, and, and honor for them achieving something in the game, there was something else that went with this great honor. That was the idea that you would be honored and you would give something back. The idea that you would uh, perhaps uh, go into politics in your city-state when, you, uh, you know, when you returned from the Olympics in those days. You would mentor young people so that they too could achieve great things. You were, you were paid by your room and board, so to speak, your food and your housing. But the idea was you just didn't rest on those laurels. You used your own self to move forward in the world and to move the world forward as well. Well, that's my next question for you all. Where are we resting on our laurels? Sometimes when you ask people what success means to them, what do they do? They'll tell you a story of the past. Well, success to me, you know, I was one of the, I remember my cousin Maxine was so proud. She was one of the, the first women in public office in Oregon, you know, like 45 years ago. She was so proud of that. And it was something that was with her for her entire life, that idea of pride. And that's a wonderful thing. But you know what? How would it be if your own definition of success and self-worth only ever was something that happened 40 years ago. When we rest on our laurels, we're kind of saying that was as good as it gets. When we focus on the past as our success, well, I was a successful mom. I, I was a success in, in college. You know, I, I had that successful job that was, that was so powerful and so wonderful. You know, I, I don't want to trivialize it down to say, what have you done lately? Because it's not, it's not like that. But, but, if you're not striving for something new, how are you going to feel successful in the future? Who in the room, I bet we have lots of them, who in the room is a lifelong learner? See, that's what I love, that is what I love about people that come to this church, because you already have a huge leg up. Just the fact that you want to go back to school and learn something, you want to try a new hobby, the fact that you want to do something or be something or try something or, or check out something that you've never done or never been before, this is setting yourself up for future success, right? And, uh, and the other thing I loved about Kathy's uh, song was she encouraged us to take a risk, right? We have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone. We have to be willing to say, I've never done that before. But you know what? It's intriguing, and I'm going to try. We have to be willing to say, well, even though this job was kind of successful in the past, I don't, you know, I'm not kind of connecting with it so well right now. I'm going to go out on a limb, try something completely different. I am going to plan for my future success. And how do we do that? By doing something different. 
We cannot plan for our future success just doing what we do from day to day. Now, it's not that we don't feel contented with what we're doing today. It's not that we don't feel some pride just in, well, frankly, some days, getting up every day, I have some pride in that. And that's a wonderful thing. But at the same time, as a lifelong learner, I have my eye on some other things I want to try. I have my eye on some other classes that will improve my ability to to be and to do in this world. I want to close today with one last idea for you or one last topic for you. And that is simply the idea of being yourself. And notice it's being yourself and not doing yourself. Because I think often we define success as what we have done or what we have achieved. And I would like us to redefine that for the purposes, maybe even of a little homework this week. How do we define success in terms of who we are rather than what we have accomplished? Now, now the accolades are great and, and being able to do things out in the world that improve your, your own lot and your family and, and maybe your community or even the, the country or the world. All of those doingnesses are, are, are wonderful. They're absolutely wonderful. But I think they actually start here. I don't think we do things until we kind of become that thing. I don't think we're able to really move out of our comfort zone physically in the world until we've already done that work right here. And so when you're thinking of setting yourself up for future accomplishments, for for future success, think of it initially in terms of what do you want to be? Not what do you want to do or what do you want to accomplish? Um, you know, sometimes I hear people talk about a bucket list. Is everyone familiar with a bucket list? And I bet you the people that have a bucket list, most of the things on it are things you want to do, right? I want to go to Machu Picchu. I want to, um, I want to go 150 miles an hour on the speedway, you know, it, uh, safely on a real speedway, right? I mean, we have lists of things we like to do. And I would like you to look at your bucket list and put on things that you'd like to become. Not just things you want to do, but things you want to become. Ways of being that would stretch you and make you more great. Each of us has that greatness within. That was Ernest Holmes' promise. All of the ascended masters, you know, their promise is there is as much greatness in us as there was in them. If you, if you, read, the, the, uh, uh, if you read about Jesus in the New Testament, if you read about the Buddha, they weren't about setting themselves up as the only person that can do those great things. They always, all of them said, the greatness lies within each one of us. Let us strive for that. So homework for this week, I think, is simple in a way, but it may require some thought on your part. And that is, what is that internal greatness? What is it that you are yearning to become? And, and, and let's start with a blank slate. Let's put aside ideas of maybe what society would think that you should do. Let's put aside ideas of, of what family or what your past history has been like. Let's ignore issues of age or education because in the end, that's just about the, the doingness of life. And once we have the beingness of life handled, the doingness will take care of itself. 
And then it'll be easy to, to put aside other people's doubts about doing something great at your age or doing something great when you don't have enough money in the bank. All that will disappear when you see the greatness right here. Then the entire universe will be backing you up. The entire universe will do whatever is necessary to make sure you have the, the tools and the, and, the, and the talent to make sure that the resources are there for you when it is in your heart to be your absolute best, to be that, that greatness that only you can provide. Oh my gosh. It will find its way to you. It will knock down doors it will, it will fund itself when you really stride forth in your greatness. It will all be there for you. I'm going to close today with a final quote from this book and a prayer. But truly, my heart on this day for homework and really for life's work is just to recognize how powerful we are and to know that our success really depends on our intentions for it, on where we want to go. Here's what Ernest Holmes says in closing out this lovely book. He says, we must come at last to believe in our own powerful word of both affirmation and acceptance. Any person who will do this consistently, who will continue to announce the good life and to believe in it, will surely be successful. We shall find our word ever accomplishes that which is good. We will always prosper those things to wherein we direct our attention. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one joy, one life. It is that thing out of which all things are made. And I know that means me. I know that means each person in this room. Each person here is that spark of the divine in form. Our individual consciousnesses are part of the divine intelligence of God itself. So all that power, all that liveliness, all that joy, all that love, all that usefulness that is in God is there for us. And so on this day, for this group of people, I just claim a, a willingness to really step into the, the potential of life that each of us has, to really recognize that, that spark of the divine in each one of us, each person here, a divine center of God's power, of God's love, of God's joy. And with this knowledge, I just give great thanks. I give great thanks in knowing that God will respond to those intentions, that the, the way will be made plain and straight, that the resources will be there, that as each person here really holds firm to their beautiful, magical, fantastical place in life, that God says yes. I'm grateful for this. I let it be. And so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you.